Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Uh, we'll get to the catching situation and how we'll handle it in a second. But we got a ton of emails, so I want to try to get to it because we didn't do a lot of emails on our last Rico. You could always email us, therecob at gmail.com. Uh, let me start off with Jimmy. Jimmy writes in the middle of game two of this series, in the bottom of the fourth inning, after Sanger throws a rough count about 26, uh, 26 pitches in that inning, Marte, Vogelbach, and Canna come up in the fifth and... Uh, hold on, I lost my, I lost my, oh yeah. Marte, Vogelback, and Canna come up together and have the three weakest at-bats I've seen in recent memory and handed Stroman an eight-pitch inning, like I was talking about. Senga then has to come right back out for the bottom of the fifth and throw another 28 pitches. What's the team's philosophy with Senga? He needs extra rest between starts, but not between innings. Work a damn at-bat. <laughs> yeah, Lindor recently made a comment how he will actually take a pitch and use a timeout to try to give his pitcher more time in the dugout in case it's a quick inning. I'm not sure in that sequence that Marte, Vogelback, and Canna gave up much thought, and they should. Like it's, it's a really good point by Jimmy. It should be in the back of your mind. It's like when a guy gets two outs on two pitches, that third-place hitter will usually take a pitch or two thinking, hey, let me give my pitcher an extra breath. In a world with a pitch clock, where when you're Kodai Senga and you're throwing 28 pitches, you're doing it over a shorter period of time, too. So you're not only throwing a lot of pitches, you're doing it bang, 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 bang. You're right. You would hope that guys in the lineup realize that. The Vogelback one cracked me up because Daniel Vogelback is good at one thing, drawing walks and having long at-bats. And in that sequence, he hit the second pitch to first base. So he couldn't even give you a long at-bat. Jimmy goes on to write, Buck rolled out a weak lineup for game one with Pham over McNeil and Sanchez over Alvarez. He also moved McGill up with short notice and gives him a catcher in Gary Sanchez, who he's never worked with before. I'm not contributing McGill's bad start to being moved up to accommodate Senga or having Sanchez behind the dish, but it couldn't have helped either. How much longer do they play with the rotation to give him extra rest? And Evan, we have to up our expectations for Alvarez playing two out of every three games. He's too big of a bat and needs to be in the lineup nearly every day. He's third in home runs and top five in RBIs on the team. He needs to actually be on his way to batting fifth, protecting Pete, not on the bench. So my reasoning for two out of every three games behind the plate is that guys get their ass kicked back there. And Alvarez has gotten his ass kicked back there. He has taken... Bats off the helmet. 
He's block balls in the dirt. It is a physically demanding position. So my retort on upping the ante on Alvarez is if you want to do it, DH him. And I think for the first time, this is becoming a real factor because the the main reason why, not that I've argued against DHing him, but why it's difficult to DH him is if you only have two catchers on a roster, you lose a lot of flexibility. The Mets are being set up to carry three catchers. They are because they've got four catchers where they've got no options to send them down. They could always get rid of Gary Sanchez, no harm, no foul. And they could do what we had talked about during the offseason after the Narvaez signing, and that's carrying Narvaez, Alvarez, and Nito. And the truth is, they love Omar Narvaez. I even like Omar Narvaez. He should not be ridiculed by us just because we love Alvarez and we deem him as competition. I think he's a productive bat. He's really good defensively. He looked decent for the short time we got to know him before he got hurt. The perfect anecdote to all, antidote to all of this is Alvarez gets factored in as a DH more. And you carry Nito and Narvaez and Alvarez. And Alvarez still catches a lot because he's growing as a catcher and he's really good defensively as a catcher. I give him a lot of props for that. But you do give yourself the flexibility to now use him more at DH. So I think that's the answer to the two out of three question because we can't just minimize the ass whipping that catchers take behind the plate. I have a problem with this though now, because if you do that, you give Buck too many options to be stupid. And I'm, this is the problem now he's messing with the lineup too much. And you know, not, not for nothing. He's not the only manager that's messing with lineups on a daily basis. I get that, but you're going to have situations where, well, I got to give Nito some, uh, some playing time. So we'll have Nito behind the dish. We'll DH Narvaez, give Alvarez a day off. They're going to have times where they're going to give Alvarez the starting starting catching and give Narvaez the DH. And that's the problem is that you he's going to use everybody because that's what he wants to do. He wants to keep the veterans, uh, I don't know if it's happy, but active. And that can't happen. Well, perfect sequence into the email from Taylor Yardverb concerning that. Hey, Evan and Pete. Love the pod. I'm not one of these lunatics that's calling for Buck's job, but it drives me crazy how he feels the need to work all the hitters in a game so frequently. It seems like he uses his entire bench in the starting lineup every two games. Yesterday, it was Escobar, Vientos, Pham, and Sanchez. Today, it's Vogelback and Canna. I much prefer the Terry Collins philosophy of the starting lineup being a meritocracy. Meritocracy. Sorry, it's late the players that are performing best play. I feel a little wrong for complaining about a philosophy that helped them win 101 games last year, but with so much dead weight at the end of our roster combined with the kids that have tons of potential, I don't think it's a sound strategy. We've seen Vogelback play every day or as close to every day as a limited skill set would allow. We've seen Tommy Pham play a ton. Escobar has played second base every other day. None have produced on a consistent basis. I think it would be much more fruitful to give the kids a near everyday role to see if they can get going. If they don't get going, fine, but at least give it a chance. Not like you're going to hurt Vogelback's production by giving him a week or two on the bench. Do you think he'll ever settle on a near everyday lineup or is it going to be musical chairs each series? So I do think it's important that you, maybe not as often as you'd like, but you got to use everybody on your team. If you let a guy sit for a week and a half, that's not good if you then need them because of injury. 
So I think there needs to be a balance. I'm not agreeing necessarily that Buck has the right balance, but there does need to be a balance where you get guys at bats. You, you can't bury a guy for three weeks. I, I don't think it's a sound strategy. That's number one. Number two, obviously, I agree that for the most part, Mark Vientos needs to play every day, that we need to see what this kid's got. And it's very similar to a discussion we had last year, which is you're trying to see what this team needs. Like, the Mets going to have to trade for a bat at the deadline or the bat's already here? Kind of the same thing with Ronnie Mauricio at AAA. Like, are the options already here? Or, hey, you know what? They're about short. They're going to have to make a deal at the deadline. And I agree. There is a lot of dead weight, a lot of dead weight. And there is a very difficult decision to make at some point, which is when are guys no longer deserving of your patience? Like, at what point do we say, yeah, I know what the back of the baseball card says, but this guy's not hitting enough and I got to make a move. And that's a tough call. That's a very, very tough call. Uh, Jess Avery says we should trade Tomas Nito and Daniel Vogel back to the Kansas city Royals for a Roldis Chapman. <laughs> hey, Chapman's look good at times. Chapman's look good at times. I think what he's thinking is how the hell do I get Nito and Vogel back off this roster? <laughs> That's what I think he's saying. Connor Sharnick writes Vogel back versus fam. That's his subject. I know everyone is tired of Vogelback and wants him gone, but people suggesting DFA, DFAing him is stupid to me. You mentioned it on the Rico before. I don't understand how he could possibly be a DFA candidate considering, excuse me, he only makes $1.5 million and his on-base OPS WRC plus are well above average versus righties. I think he's a big leaguer and could have a role on this team, even if it's just as a bench player or a pinch hitter. And by the way, I still agree with that. Like, I still think he can have a role on this team as a bat off the bench, just not the guy DHing most of the time. Uh, if they wanted to give, if they wanted to move him to give the kids more at bats, I'm fine with that too. But shouldn't they be able to get a very solid bullpen arm in return or a solid minor league arm? I'd assume they could flip him for somebody like Colin Holderman. It's <laughs> funny. For those who don't get it, that's who we traded for Danny Bowman. His contract and numbers have to make them a fit for a bunch of teams. Either way, to me, Tommy Pham is the DFA candidate and has to happen today. He has no value as a fourth outfielder who's a lousy fielder and has no business playing center field anymore. Obviously, he hasn't hit a lick either. I'd love for them to send Pham packing, call up Mauricio, and go with the bench of Eduardo Escobar, Mark Canna, Daniel Vogelback, and the kids playing as regularly as possible. I think Jeff flexibility to play the outfield makes it work. And if Beatty can play left field, it's even more doable. Appreciate the time. Love the Rico. I agree with him. I actually totally agree with him. If you're calling up Mauricio or if there is a bat amongst the veterans who you say I'm ready to move on from and I can replace them, it would actually be Tommy Pham over Daniel Vogelback. That would be my thought. I do agree with you on that. Yeah. And that, and, and not for nothing, but he's right though. Like you have technically, Five outfielders. If as long as Marte, Nimmo, and Connor are healthy, Beatty could play left possibly, and McNeil's the fourth outfielder. So yeah, I, I think if Mauricio ever gets the call, McNeil's the outfielder. Like Jeff McNeil's just going to play a lot of outfield, and I'd even throw in uh, Eduardo Escobar too, 
who can at least go out there. Remember, he was doing a little bit of it in spring training. This is from a few days ago, but I wanted to bring it up. Joe DeSanto writes, why does Carl Ravitch hate the Mets? He's throwing subtle jabs at the Mets all night. This is from Sunday night. I was seriously considering muting the TV and listening to Howie on the radio, but I wanted to hear Ravitch get salty after the Mets won. I can't be alone on this. Pete has to agree with me. Signed, Joe. Joe, do you, uh, Pete, do you agree with Joe that Carl Ravitch hates the New York Mets? It always feels that way. I, I don't know why, uh, but I, I'm not going to 100% agree with him because I actually like Carl Ravitch. I like what he does. But I, I feel like if you're the local team, you listen to him talk, you do get that 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 vibe. But I'm not I'm not sure if it's a real, real dig at us at all. But yes. <laughs> we we just hate the national broadcast. That's the world well, we live in. It sucks. It's boring. It's 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 just not good. It it, it really is because you, you again we're spoiled. We're spoiled. That's yeah. part of it. We're, we're spoiled. And they just don't watch the team the way we do. I think that's the number one issue. All right, couple of things on the catching situation. Gary Sanchez does not have to be on this team. All right, now, when they called him up, I didn't have an issue with it. It's a backup catcher. Narvaez on the IL. Nito on the IL. No problem with it. You want to give him a chance over Michael Perez. I just didn't have a problem with it. If Nito is healthy, if Narvaez is healthy, I do lean towards the idea, at least for a short period of time, of carrying the three catchers. I think eventually you trade Tomas Nito because Narvaez is signed. Alvarez is clearly your future catcher. He's your current catcher. Forget future catcher. He's the freaking catcher. And backup catchers are not that difficult to find. So I think Nito would be able to net you something back. He's a very solid defensive player who doesn't make a lot of money. A part of why they signed him to that extension, apparently, was that it would make him more tradable. So my answer to all of this is I'm willing to play with the three catchers, Nito, Narvaez, Alvarez, mix in some Alvarez DH days. So Narvaez and Alvarez can both get a decent amount of at-bats but Alvarez needs to be the priority. He needs to be the most of the time catcher. But how about this quote from Alvarez? Alvarez had a great PR run over the last four days. Besides his production, I mentioned earlier the Will Salmon article in The Athletic, which just painted this ridiculously awesome picture about how pitchers love him, how he's really stepped up as a veteran, how Jeremy Barnes, the hitting coach, loves him. He's got the greatest growth mindset he's ever seen. There was a great story about how he had the confidence uh, in that Washington game about a week and a half ago, in the middle of a long at-bat David Robertson was dealing with, that Alvarez went out to the mound to just give him a break, give him a joke, make him smile, squat behind the plate, and then have Robertson strike the batter out. He's 21 years old. Like, the fact that he's getting that kind of confidence in himself, I think is amazing. I mean, the things we've heard about Alvarez over the last month, forget about what we've seen, because what we've seen is awesome. He's grown as a hitter. He's not swinging and miss nearly as much. He's blocking balls in the dirt. He's pitch framing his ass off. So besides the obvious that we watch, to hear the compliments that are coming his way from pitchers and veterans is awesome. This guy could be the catcher for the next 15 years. That's incredibly exciting. The Mets have had a long history of really good catchers but most of them have been acquired from elsewhere, like Mike Piazza, like Gary Carter. This could be our guy. But here's his quote on the four catchers. This is Francisco Alvarez, who's 21 years old. 
at the end of the day, the four of us in this situation are all on a team and we want what's best for the team. Hopefully, Nito and Narvaez come back and get healthy. And if the manager decides that the best interest for the team is for them to play, I will take that in stride and I will respect that decision for the team. And if their decision is for me to stay up here, I'll also respect that and give my 100% to help the team win. Our main focus is try to win a championship and not really care about everything else that's going on. Now, that's a mature comment. That's a guy who gets it. It's either that or the interpreter is really good at spinning words. (laughs) (laughs) I, I will calm everyone down with this. I'm not worried about this. Now, I may be worried about him not playing as much as some want. Obviously, there's going to be a disagreement about that. What is enough? He is a catcher. He's not going to play every, every, every day. But the idea he's going to end up back in AAA, barring some kind of massive slump, I just don't see happening. And I agree with you, and I I like that. But I have two worries, two. And one's a little far-fetched right now, but let me hear the, the first one is this. Why the hell were they talking so down about him last year? He's not ready. You know, we're not sure if he's mature enough. There's a lot of, I mean, he looks, like like we said, he looks the part. So there's yeah. a little concern about that of like, what the hell were they protecting? What, what was, what was Epler thinking? So I'm a little, that rubs me wrong in the front office part. Also, it, it, on the up flip side, maybe they're buttering him up. Are they working to trade him? No, I don't think that these recent compliments are about trading him. I think it's the reality. I think that, you know, I think that the Met organization, and by organization, I mean the guys that are at the major league level, the coaches, the pitchers, who don't have a say necessarily in him being sent down or not. That's a Billy Epler decision. But I think that's their way of saying, we love this kid. We don't want him to be sent down. I mean, why else? Would you make comments like that? They know what's going on around them. So I don't think there's any motive to trade them. As far as the concern from last year to this year, there's two things. The number one, we don't trust this front office. This front office has not earned our trust. Why would they? It's not like they're the ones that drafted these guys or signed these guys. They're not. Like I've always said, Billy Epler inherited these prospects. He didn't develop them. Uh, So it could just be, yeah, they're wrong. They're idiots. And Who could blame us for thinking that? We don't trust the front office. The other possibility, which is the likeliest possibility, is he's 21 years old. Last year, maybe he had a maturity issue. This year, he can drink a beer, and he doesn't. Like, that is absolutely on the table. But what's really, really encouraging is there are a lot of great athletes in in, in every sport who don't work hard enough once they get to the show. They don't put that work in. And that's the difference between being Kobe Bryant and being Blake Griffin, right? Like Blake Griffin was a fine player. Did he work hard enough early in his career? Probably not. Kobe Bryant was a killer, man. But we all know the stories. We know about the Mamba mentality. And I think that that's the same thing in baseball. You get to the major leagues. How hard are you willing to work? And that gets you to the next level. And the fact that at such a young age, as a highly rated prospect, And we're seeing the results. This is not just stories we're hearing about. We're watching. When you can watch the progress in front of your eyes, it's really, really awesome. And that's one of the positives, despite this two-game losing streak. (laughs) We have a guy in Francisco Alvarez. And he can cook. And he can cook. I read that, too, yes. And he's quite (laughs) a cook. 
Uh, look, they got to find a way to win the finale of this series. Getting swept in Chicago, where they've had major issues outside of the NLCS over the last decade, would really be it'd be a dark cloud over what they did on the homestand, let's be honest. So I think, and I've said there are certain regular season games that matter more than others. I definitely think Carlos Carrasco versus Jamison Tyone Thursday night's one of those games. It's a very, very important game. You can't get swept by Chicago going into Colorado. Very important game. Uh, Pete, are you going to do a Rico after this series? I am unavailable. I apologize. That's why we're doing it tonight or this morning. Will you give the people what they want? And that's a Rico after the series against the Cubbies. So I've talked to a couple guys, and we are heading down to the Jersey Shore for the kickoff, the summer kickoff. Uh, but I believe we will be doing a podcast at the Jersey Shore on Thursday. Look at that. That's what I'm talking about. So you got a couple of extra Ricos, and then we'll be back together after the series against the Colorado Rockies. Appreciate the emails. If we didn't read yours, my apologies. But you can send it on over to RicoB at gmail.com, the RicoB at gmail.com. Thank you for downloading and listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>